Have you ever had a nightmare where in that nightmare you've gone, I've got to wake up, I've got to wake up. If you've ever had that experience, that was also a lucid dream. Because the moment you acknowledge there was a place to wake up to, you acknowledged you were dreaming. If you are ever lucky enough, and I do mean lucky enough, to become conscious and lucid within a nightmare, don't wake up. Hi, I'm Vishen Lakiani, founder of Mind Valley, the school for human transformation. You're listening to the Mind Valley podcast, where we'll be bringing you the greatest teachers and thought leaders on the planet to discuss the world's most powerful ideas and personal growth for mind, body, spirit, and work. So, my name is Charlie Morley, and I have been lucid dreaming for 20 years. And I spent the last 11 years traveling around the world teaching people how to lucid dream. So that's my thing. I write books about it. I do courses about it. I've got a new Mind Valley quest teaching you guys how to do it, which is coming soon. But in this talk, rather than teaching you how to do it, I want to open your mind to the potential of it. So first of all, let's start with the basics. What is a lucid dream? A lucid dream is a dream in which you're actively aware of the fact you're dreaming as the dream is happening. So it's not just a really vivid dream. It's not a dream where you see future events and those future events come to pass. And it's not an out-of-body experience where your consciousness shifts out of the body. It's specifically a dream where you're sound asleep, but while you're sleeping and dreaming, you go, aha, this is all a dream. That's what makes it a lucid dream. It may well be vivid. It may well see future events. It may well lead to an out-of-body experience. But by definition, a lucid dream is simply a dream where you go, aha, I'm dreaming as the dream is happening. Now, lucid dreaming doesn't happen in that in-between state. It's not a hypnagogic phenomena. It's not a shamanic journey. It's not yoga nidra. Although yoga nidra, shamanic journeying, all these things can help with lucid dreaming. Lucid dreaming actually happens in REM dreaming sleep, which comes at the end of your 90-minute sleep cycle. So you are totally asleep when you have a lucid dream. If you ever wondered what a lucid dreamer looks like when they're having a lucid dream, they look like this. They're totally out for the count. So you're not half awake, half asleep. You are dreaming. But in the dream, you become actively aware of the fact you're dreaming. The reason I labor that point is because we have a problem with the term. The term lucid dreaming doesn't really connote the definition of what it is, because lucid means something that's clear, something that has clarity. And just because the dream's clear doesn't mean it's lucid. So possibly a better term would be conscious dreaming, because that's what makes it lucid, when you're conscious within the dream. Now, I can't see you guys go on webinar function, but maybe you can hit the hand button. Who here has had a lucid dream? Who here has ever had a dream where in the dream you've gone, aha, I'm dreaming? Okay, I'm seeing loads of yeses come through. Perfect, perfect, perfect. Whee, I love this. About a gazillion yeses. Okay, so for those who haven't hit yes or are still hitting yes, have you ever had a nightmare where in that nightmare you've gone, I've got to wake up, I've got to wake up? If you've ever had that experience, that was also a lucid dream. Because the moment you acknowledge there was a place to wake up to, you acknowledge you were dreaming. So a little footnote on this, because this is a different talk, my nightmare talk. If you are ever lucky enough, and I do mean lucky enough, to become conscious and lucid within a nightmare, don't wake up. Every time you wake yourself from a nightmare, the unintegrated trauma that led to the creation of the nightmare remains unintegrated. That's why your nightmares recur. Surely you've wondered that. Why don't my happy dreams recur? Why doesn't that dream where I'm having a dinner date with Tom Hardy or whoever your favorite you know, Hollywood star is, why have I never had that dream more than once? But why do I have that nightmare every week or every month or whenever it is? Because nightmares, every nightmare we wake from, every nightmare we reject, every nightmare we see as something bad 
has to come back. Nightmares aren't there to punish us. They're there to integrate our shadow. So if you do ever become lucid within a nightmare, stay in the nightmare for as long as you can. Because as the great Krishnamurti said, the seeing is the doing. Just to remain in a nightmare knowing I'm not really in danger, I'm simply dreaming about danger or dreaming about trauma can be enough to unravel trauma in just one lucid dream. The reason I'm really into this at the moment is because this is what my new book's about. I spent the last few years working with veterans from the armed forces, from Afghanistan, Iraq, etc., and previous wars too, who are coming back with really bad nightmares. And what we found is that lucid dreaming can be a really powerful tool to help integrate those nightmares. Footnote over, back to the main talk. So a lucid dream is a dream where you know you're dreaming as the dream is happening. Once that happens, you can control, although I'll be careful with that word, direct and choreograph the dream at will. So once you know that you're dreaming, you gain access to the world's most powerful virtual reality simulation, your own subconscious mind. In a lucid dream, you are inside your own psyche. You are literally walking around a three-dimensional projection of your own mind. And you can choose what to do. Now, if that sounds psychedelic, it should. You know, there's a renaissance in psychedelic experience now, psychedelic therapy and all this stuff, and some of it's really, really great. But if you want a free psychedelic experience where you don't need to go and see a shaman in, in the Amazon, or you don't need to find some dude on the street, you can go into your own mind in bed. Because in the lucid dream, you have access to this huge psychedelic experience. So once we're lucid, we know that we're dreaming, we can choose what to do. So let's say you want to fly through the sky. Most people will go, Phoom. well, most people. I'm a Superman flyer. Um, again, we can have a yes in the chat box here. Usually three main types of flyer in their lucid dreams. Who's a Superman flyer? Who flies like this? Second type is the swim flyer. They don't fly like that in their dreams. Quite a few people. Oh, there we go. And the third main type of flyer in the dreams is the bouncer who kind of like get a bit of gravity and then get a bit of gravity. Okay. Oh, the swimmer, we got bouncers coming through. Okay, cool. So in the lucid dream, let's say I want to fly. Put my hand up like Superman and I fly. Now, you might think that that means I'm controlling the dream. Well, I may be controlling my subjective experience. I'm controlling how fast I fly. I'm controlling left, controlling going right. But to say we're controlling the dream is actually to underestimate the power of the subconscious mind. Because although we may be controlling our subjective experience, what is controlling the trees that I'm flying over? What is controlling the people walking in and out of the shops if I'm flying over a scene of London? What is controlling the wind on my face as I fly through? I'm not choosing for that to happen. So although I may be controlling my subjective experience, the vast majority of the dream is not under our control. So lucid dreaming is not about dream control. It's actually about making friends with the subconscious mind. And that's why it's such a powerful tool for psychological integration. No sailor controls the sea. Think how arrogant a sailor would be to say, I control the ocean. And yet, a sailor can sail as if they were in control. Why? Because they have such respect for the ocean, such knowledge of the tides, of the stars guiding them, of the coral reefs, of where the sea monsters lie, that they can sail as if they were in control. That's the same with lucid dreaming. Just as it would be an arrogant sailor to believe they control the dream, uh, to control the sea, I believe it's an arrogant lucid dreamer who believes they control the dream. So we don't want to control it. We want to befriend it. But if you make friends with the subconscious mind, you are making friends with 95% of your potential. I'm sure you've heard that old adage the uh, post-Jungians use of the uh, iceberg of consciousness, right? 
above the surface of the top 10%, the conscious mind, that which we're aware of, that which we can see. Below the surface, the iceberg, the vast majority, 90%, the unconscious mind, that which we can't see. In a lucid dream, you are taking that top 10% of your consciousness and flipping it downward into that 90% of our fullest potential. Now, that might sound a bit like hypnotherapy, and again, it should. If I was giving you the elevator pitch for lucid dreaming, I'd say anything you can treat through hypnotherapy, you can also treat through lucid dreaming. So working with trauma, as I've mentioned before, working with negative thought programming, working with life manifestation, working with life skills rehearsal, working for confidence boosting, but also just like hypnosis can be used for a stage show, also lucid dreaming can just be loads of fun. I taught myself to lucid dream when I was 16 years old. I'd had some lucid dreams before when I was like 11, 12, but 16 was when I bought the books and kind of taught myself how to do it. So at 16 years old, before I got into Buddhism, before I ended up living in a Buddhist center for eight years with the monks and nuns, I taught myself to lucid dream. Now at 16 years old, when I gained access to the world's most powerful virtual reality simulation, where the rules of society didn't apply, you can imagine what I got up to. Yes, a lot of sex and a lot of skateboarding. At 16, those were like two of my favorite things. I'm not sure how much has changed. I did get very good at skateboarding though, so the practice thing seemed to, seemed to work. The other thing, not so much. So you can, of course, just use lucid dreaming for fun, and that's totally fine. You know, if you get lucid tonight, and by the way, your chances of getting lucid tonight have just skyrocketed because you're listening to me talk about it. You're listening to somebody say it's possible, and in a minute, you're going to hear me give you the science that shows it's possible. If you do get lucid tonight, and maybe you do just want to fly about in your first lucid dream, have sex with a movie star, do some skateboarding, whatever you like. But once you've done that, I want to open you up to the huge potential for both spiritual and psychological growth that lucid dreaming holds. Just to finish on that 16-year-old story, I got into Buddhism when I was about 18, 19 years old. And when I got into Tibetan Buddhism, they had this thing called dream yoga. I kept hearing this term. I said, what is dream yoga? And this monk that I asked, he said, oh, dream yoga is the Tibetan Buddhist spiritual practice of lucid dreaming. And I was like, oh, lucid dreaming, I, I do that. <laughs> and he went, oh, uh, okay. Well, yeah, we, we've been doing it in Tibetan Buddhism for like a thousand years. And I said, really, lucid dreaming, you guys do that? Well, what do you use lucid dreaming for? And he said, we use it to do our spiritual practice while we sleep. We use it to explore the nature of reality. And we use it to prepare for the death and dying states. That was this penny drop moment. Whereas this kid who just used lucid dreaming for sex and skateboarding, I suddenly realized, wow, I've had the keys to something very powerful, but had never opened the lock. And then embarrassing, the monk said to me, so you can lucid dream? And I was like, yeah, yeah, I can lucid dream. He said in front of everyone, so what do you do in your lucid dreams? And I was so embarrassed. I was like, um, like skateboarding, like a lot of skateboarding. <laughs> So let's look at the science of lucid dreaming. First off, lucid dreaming is a verified phenomena of REM dreaming sleep. Anyone listening now who doesn't believe that, just Google it, guys. All the research is out there. Maybe you meet someone after this talk who says, oh, lucid dreaming is bullshit, man. I don't believe that stuff. Absolutely wrong. 1975, at Hull University in the United Kingdom, lucid dreaming was first verified as a scientific fact. Of course, people had known that lucid dreaming had been around for thousands of years. In the Buddhist tradition, a thousand years. In the Toltec Mexica tradition of the uh, shamanic Mexicans, it had been around for a thousand years. In the Sufi tradition of Islam, it had been around for 500 years. So people knew lucid dreaming existed. 
But before 1975, lucid dreaming was viewed as a paradoxical impossibility. They said there was no way you could be both conscious and asleep at the same time. They believed that consciousness was predicated upon your eyes open being awake. We now know that just isn't true. Then later in the 80s, a few years later at Stanford University, a man, very famous guy called Stephen LeBurge, did very similar tests and got similar results. He got all his stuff kind of peer reviewed though. So he's the guy who gets most of the credit. And then later, and around 2010, 2011, 2012, they did some studies in Germany where they got people to have a lucid dream in a brain scanner. And that's when really the bets were in because they saw what happened to the brain when you become lucid. Back to the brain. When you're having non-lucid dreams, like 99% of our dreams are non-lucid, right? Until we've done the training. The back part of the brain is highly activated. Visual cortex, brain stem, acetabular lobe. Front part of the brain, prefrontal cortex, very little activation in non-lucid dreams. Now, the scientists believe that your prefrontal cortex is where your sense of self resides, or at least the neural networks that create our sense of self reside. So the Charlie program, the like me, my eye program is around here. And in a non-lucid dream, this area gets very little blood flow, which is why I can dream I'm other people. I can dream I'm a child when I'm an adult. I can dream I'm a woman when I'm a man. I can dream I'm an animal when I'm a human. I mean, you've had crazy dreams. You're other people, right? Where you live in different places, which doesn't seem to be you. That's because your sense of self can become very flexible in the dream state because the prefrontal cortex is switched off. However, once you become lucid, the prefrontal cortex switches on. And that's how your sense of self comes online. And you go, oh, I'm Charlie having a lucid dream. Here's the cool thing. When they put the dude in the brain scanner and he managed to get lucid, that front part of the brain switched on and they saw, oh, just as we thought, the right dorsolateral prefrontal cortex, the area associated with self-perception, with sense of agency, with sense of I am having experience, lights up like a Christmas tree. You can find that online, actually, the video of it. It's so cool. But here's the cool bit. Once that front part of the brain lights up, not only does our sense of self come online, but another amazing phenomena of the brain comes online. It's called neuroplasticity. And I'm sure you guys have heard of this. Hit me a yes in the chat box if you've heard of neuroplasticity. I know you Mind Valley guys will have heard of this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A thousand yeses coming in. Okay, cool. So I'm preaching to converted here. Neuroplasticity is essentially the neurobiological basis of habit. If anyone watching this plays piano, I do not play piano. If you play piano, if we were to open up your skull and find the part of the brain to do with hand-to-eye coordination, that part of the brain in your head would be literally thicker than the same part of the brain in my head because you spend hours working your hand-to-eye coordination, playing piano. I have not. So neuroplasticity isn't just psychological, it is physiological. It literally rewires and changes the shape of certain parts of our brain. In a non-lucid dream, because the prefrontal cortex is not engaged, neuroplasticity is engaged to a very, very low level. So you can dream about soccer all you like. Unless you're lucid, you're not going to get any better at soccer. Here's the cool thing. Once you become lucid and that part of the brain switches on, neuroplasticity becomes engaged. What does this mean? It means you can rewire your brain while you sleep. If this sounds shocking, it should. Studies have shown that once you become lucid in your dream, the brain doesn't think you're sleeping. The brain doesn't think you're imagining. The brain doesn't think you're dreaming. The brain thinks you're awake. So whatever you do once you become lucid, the brain starts to rewire itself in favor of that action. This means you can literally get better at physical, real-life stuff through practicing it in your lucid dreams. 
one of the first studies they did was using German athletes and they got them to do squats. So squats, right? Like you do in the gym. They teach these guys to lucid dream. They give them like three months of training, right? And rather than allowing them in their lucid dreams to integrate their trauma, to commune with God, to do their spiritual Buddhist practice in their dreams, they're allowed to do one thing only. And that was squats. So they check to see how many squats they can do in the waking state. Then they go into the lucid dream, they're hooked up to the brain scanners, all this kind of stuff. And in the lucid dream, they do squats. Of course, they're, they're asleep in bed, but in the dream, in their dream body, they do squats. The next day, they test them compared to the control condition. The control condition was visualization. So you might think, oh, isn't visualization just as good? Not quite, because the lucid dream is a 100% visualization. You cannot get more of a visualization than a lucid dream. Long story short, those who practice squats in their lucid dreams got better at squats in the waking state. The last study was a 2018 study that I was part of. Now, I'm really into martial arts, like 15 years of martial arts. I got a black belt in kickboxing, used to fight competitively. Love it. And I love lucid dreaming. A research study came up where they needed people who were good at lucid dreaming and who loved martial arts. So I was like, brilliant. I'm going to be part of this. They had us go into the lucid dream state and practice a kick sequence you know, you found difficult to do in the waking state. Small research team, so there are only kind of 20 participants or something. Of those 20 participants, 81.3% who practiced their martial arts in their lucid dreams reported marked waking state improvement. 81.3% of the martial artists got better by training in their lucid dreams. Now, here's the confession. Myself, embarrassingly, the dude who was supposed to be the expert in the study, I didn't get any better. <laughs> I didn't get any worse, but I didn't get any better, but I had to be truthful. You know, I tried it in the dreams and I just didn't get any better at kicking the waking state. So maybe I did it wrong, but 81.3% got better. So you might be thinking, okay, well, that's cool. So I can rewire my brain in the lucid dream, but I'm not into martial arts and I don't care about squats. My booty looks good already. Okay, well, let's apply this to everything else. Imagine if you go into the lucid dream and you practice kindness. Imagine if you go into the lucid dream and you practice integrating childhood trauma. Imagine if you go into the lucid dream and you ask questions to unlock your innate capacity to manifest in this life. What if you go into the lucid dream and you meet your inner artist and ask them questions? What if you go into the lucid dream and you practice being the person you know you could be? If you could only move beyond the barriers of fear that prevent you being that person right now. If you could do that, you could literally change your life while you sleep. If you've enjoyed this podcast, consider joining Mind Valley All Access. Now you can sign up to Mind Valley All Access and unlock every Mind Valley program instantly. Get access to transformation from all of the world's best minds in everything from parenting to biohacking to mind, body, spirit, entrepreneurship, work productivity. Learn from the likes of Ben Greenfield, Jim Quick, Shafali Sabari, Stephen Kotler, and more all available to you for less than $2 a day. Simply visit mindvalley.com forward slash now. That's mindvalley.com forward slash N-O-W. And you'll be surprised to see that Mindvalley All Access now comes with advanced technologies to completely transform your learning, your networks, and your human connections, including our new private social network for students, Connections by Mindvalley, and our Altered State Inducement app, Ombana, which complements our regular training with Altered State methodologies to transform you at a subconscious level. Check it all out on mindvalley.com forward slash N-O-W. mindvalley.com forward slash now.
Okay, so we've nailed the brain science of lucid dreaming, the neurological aspects of how we can reprogram the brain and stuff. Now let's look at the psychological aspects of lucid dreaming. In a lucid dream, you are conscious within the unconscious mind. This is a very similar state to that which a hypnotherapist would bring you into, as I said before. As a hypnotherapist takes a strand of the conscious mind and brings it down into the iceberg of the unconscious and then plants a suggestion of healing intent, such as, I live a healthy lifestyle free of the addiction of cigarettes, for example. In a lucid dream, you're doing the same thing. But in a lucid dream, number one, you're by yourself. You don't have a hypnotherapist with you. And number two, rather than just dipping into the subconscious mind, you go boom right to the bottom of the iceberg. This is simply because you can't get more unconscious than asleep. So the depth to which you can go in a lucid dream is far deeper than the depth you can go in hypnotherapy. Now, I say this with absolutely full respect to hypnotherapists. I did training in hypnotherapy in my early 20s. I had a hypnotherapy teacher. I trained hypnotherapists how to teach lucid dreaming. This is what I believe. I believe that hypnotherapy is actually far more accessible than lucid dreaming. Because as a hypnotherapist, you can bring your client into the hypnotic trance state, you know, nine times out of 10, right? 10 times out of 10, maybe. Lucid dream, can you do it every single dream? No, or it's difficult to do so. It takes some practice. So lucid dreaming isn't as accessible as hypnotherapy. But once you get to the lucid dream state, I believe it is even more powerful than hypnotherapy. So in the lucid dream, you're going down at the unconscious mind and planting these suggestions of healing intent. Those can work at a very powerful level psychologically. You can work with trauma. You can work with phobias. You can work in the same way as kind of family constellations. You can go into the lucid dream and create a constellation of the dream characters within your mind. Let's start with the phobia one, a nice example of this. Anyone out there, again, hit me in the chat. Any arachnophobes out there? Anyone scared of spiders? Just hit a yes. A me, 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 yes, yes, bad. <laughs> okay, so I was totally with you guys. And even that, right? If you throw a spider at me, I'm getting the hell out of the way. But if a spider were to, you know, walk across my apartment floor now, I could pick it up and I could take it outside to my balcony. 10 years ago, no way could I have done that, man. I had to get someone else to deal with it. I was a full-on arachnophobe, probably inherited from my mom because I can't think of any trauma that actually led to it for myself. I was scared of spiders. And I'd heard this research that in a similar way to cognitive behavioral therapy, lucid dreaming can be used as a form of exposure therapy. Because remember, the lucid dream feels as real as this. It's an incredibly hyper-realistic virtual reality simulation within your own mind, where the brain doesn't think you're dreaming the brain thinks you're awake. So it can be used as a form of exposure therapy, let's say for those who are scared of spiders. So tonight, if you get lucid, number one tip, don't do this. When you're lucid, okay, I'm dreaming, I'm dreaming. Don't go, spiders, now, as one of my students once did. And they promised me that every time I tell this story, I will tell people never to do that. Because as soon as they said spiders now, they were like everything that wasn't inanimate turned into a spider. All the people turned into spiders. The things turned into spiders. The dream was full of spiders, so don't do that. But what you could do, you know, oh, I'm dreaming, I'm dreaming. So my body is sleeping in bed. I'm in my mind. And remember, in a lucid dream, you're clear. If you get lucid tonight, you can be in the lucid dream thinking, oh, cool, I'm going to email Charlie Morley tomorrow to tell him that I had a lucid dream. That's so cool. You have full access to waking state memory. So you can remember what you want to do. So you could be like, okay, I want to work with my fear of spiders. So then you could say, okay, when I turn around, there will be a friendly small spider that I can work with. Or you could do like, you know, when I open my palm, there will be a small spider within it. And in the lucid dream state, just like in life actually, but it seems to be more difficult in life, thought manifests form. 
So if you have the thought that there will be a spider there, often that will manifest. Then in the dream, you could, okay, I haven't got a spider, but I've got a little Buddha. I'm going to imagine this little Buddha is the spider. You pick up the little Buddha spider and it will feel real, by the way. You will feel the hair on its legs. You will, it, it's so realistic, the lucid dream. It's nuts. And it'll be crawling up your arm. And you'll be like, okay, uh, the spider's crawling up my arm. And you will be frightened. But just remind yourself, the spider does not exist. The arm does not exist. My body is safe asleep in my bed. That's what you need to tell yourself. This is just a virtual reality simulation of my own mind. You could allow the spider to crawl up your arm. Now, your brain doesn't know that, remember. The brain thinks you're awake. So the brain's going, ah, there is no spoon. Absolutely, whoever just said, oh, butterscotch, cool. Yes, totally. There is no spoon, dude. There is no spoon. Matrix reference, brilliant. So you can allow the spider to crawl up your arm. The brain thinks the spider's real and that you're awake. So it starts creating neural pathways saying, okay, I'm not freaking out anymore. I'm cool with spiders. You can allow it to crawl up your arm. You can even befriend the spider. You can give it a name, whatever you like. That will have a deep and profound effect on your fear of spiders just by doing that. Basically, fearlessly interacting with that which you were afraid of within the lucid dream. That's the slogan here. Fearlessly interacting with that which you were afraid of within the lucid dream is the way to integrate phobias. Now, how to check it. You don't need to email me saying, oh, I did that. Did it work? I will just email you back saying, you tell me how to check if it works the next day, go and see a spider. And a lot of people find the next day after a powerful lucid dream where they've integrated the phobia, they just won't have the response. They may be able to hold the spider in their hand. They may be able, just like in the dream, to allow the spider to crawl up your arm. Now, that's the coolest thing about lucid dreaming. Not just that you can integrate phobias and stuff like that, but the fact it's evidence-based. Anything that you've heard me say today, and you're calling bullshit on it, brilliant. Just as Buddha himself said two and a half thousand years ago, take nothing I tell you as true till you find it as true yourself. Test everything. Like a goldsmith tests gold. If that was good enough for Buddha, you absolutely need to test everything I'm telling you. So check it. You know, see if this stuff works. Interact with the spider the next day. Check your phobia the next day. See if it's affected your trigger responses. Because there's no guru to worship. There's no cult to be part of. These are techniques that you learn, you practice them, you see the results. There's no belief here. There's no faith here. You can have belief and faith if you want, but it's not a requisite. Lucid dreaming isn't a Buddhist thing. I mean, I'm Buddhist. I lived in a Buddhist center for like eight years, right, with the monks and nuns. But lucid dreaming isn't about Buddhism. It's about humanity. If you're a human being and you have a mind, you have the ability to lucid dream and the power is within. So we can work with phobias in that way. We can also work with traumas. I'll give you a great example. A lady who, this dream is featured in my latest book, which is a couple of years old now, called Dreaming Through Darkness. My first two books, Dreams of Awakening, and my second book, Lucid Dreaming Made Easy, those are 100% lucid dreaming books. The third book, Dreaming Through Darkness, is Jungian psychological shadow work applied through dream work and waking state practices. Any great for anyone who's working with fear, shame, trauma, nightmares. There's a case study in that book. There was a lady who came to one of my retreats. I do these like four-day sleepover retreats. They're like boot camp for lucid dreamers, where all the day we do yoga, we do meditation, we learn lucid dreaming. Then at night from 10.30 to 3.30, you sleep in your bedroom. Then at 3.30, you wake up and you sleep in bed number two. Bed number two is in the sacred sleeping area. You then go to sleep for the second half of the night in the sacred sleeping area, and I guide you into sleep and then wake you up 90 minutes later 
give you your affirmations, guide you back into sleep, wake you up 90 minutes later. You don't have to do it. It's optional. Anyway, on that retreat, there was a lady there. She had never had a lucid dream before. First lucid dream of her life. She wanted to meet her seven-year-old self. Now, we were doing a dream plan exercise. In the quest, we'll learn how to do this dream planning. The quest will take you step by step to teach you the lucid dream. In the dream planning exercise, we make this art piece of what we want to do in our lucid dream and had a picture of her meeting her seven-year-old self. And I said to her, why do you want to meet your seven-year-old self? And she said, when I was seven, something happened to me. There was some abuse. And now I'm older. I know it wasn't my fault, but I still hold this kind of guilt, this shame that maybe it was something I did. And I know it's irrational, but it's still there. So Charlie, do you think if I could meet that seven-year-old little girl and I could hug her and embrace her and tell her it wasn't her fault, I could integrate that trauma that's been plaguing me for my life? And I was like, yes, absolutely. That is possible. How long have you been lucid dreaming for? She goes, oh, no, I'm new on this retreat. I've never had a lucid dream before. Internally, of course, I didn't show this, but internally I was like, whoa, her first lucid dream. And she wants to do heavy childhood trauma integration stuff. Okay, let me think about this. And I thought back to what my meditation teacher had always told me. The shadow, that which we repress, deny, and disown, will only give us what we're ready for. The shadow is not there to destroy us. The shadow is there to help us wake up. So I thought, okay, well, if it's too much for her, the dream will kind of censor itself in some way. And it does. If you're in a lucid dream and you ask for something that's too much or something that won't benefit you, the dream just censors it. It blocks it. There's like an inner wisdom in the lucid dream, far greater wisdom than the waking state, which knows just what we're ready for and just what we're not ready for. So I trusted in that. I thought, well, look, she's probably not going to get lucid on her first night anyway. And if it's too much, it won't happen. That night, she totally got lucid. Why? Because she had a good reason. Why? Again, this is what we look at in the first week of the quest. The why is more important than the how. You can have all the lucid dreaming techniques from the books that you know. But if you haven't got a good reason why to have a lucid dream, lucid dream is going to be difficult. This lady, she had a really good reason why. So that first night of the retreat, she got lucid. And she called out, seven-year-old self, come to me. Seven-year-old self, now. Often when you do that, a sonified representation of an element of your psychology will appear. So in a lucid dream, you can call out to meet your inner child. You can call out to meet your fear. You can call out to meet your sexual shame. You can be very specific and they will appear in personified form or as a cloud of smoke or whatever it is. So she's calling out for a seven-year-old self. Nothing happens. The dream blocked it. She wasn't ready for it. It would have re-traumatized her perhaps. But on the third calling out, seven-year-old self, come to me. A door appeared in the dream. On the door was a sign. The sign read, caution. How cool is that? The symbolism of that. The dream was like, nah, to meet personification of that abused little girl, that's too much. But I'm going to give you a door and I'm going to write something on the door, letting you know, be careful if you open this door, make sure you know what you're doing. So in the lucid dream, she's very sweet. She said, so I was there in front of this door that said caution on it. And I thought, what would Charlie say to do? Should I go through the door? Should I not? And she thought, okay, well, if it's got a lock on it, I'll see that as symbolic. You know, it's locked away. But if I push it and it opens, I'll see that, that it's, it's an open door. I'm okay to step through it. So she pushes the door. As she pushes the door, boom, 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 the dream manifests again. And suddenly there's a building. And on the building, there are three floors. And on each level, each floor of the building, is a different symbolic representation of the abuse. On the ground floor, she walks in and there's a room full of vomit. 
Now, this is might sound strange why a room full of vomit without going too much detail. One of the things that happened to her was she was forced to eat till she was sick. So vomit was like a, a symbolic of some of the abuse that occurred. And she walks into this room full of vomit. And I always teach in my lucid dreaming classes, if everything in the lucid dream is you and you're wondering what to do in your lucid dreams, hug everything. Literally, if you get lucid tonight and you can't remember what you want to do, just hug everything. It's all you. Hug the trees, hug the people, hug the floor, hug the clouds. Definitely hug the monsters. Because if you meet a monster in your lucid dream, that is a monstrous aspect of you. And what is a monstrous aspect? Just an unloved aspect, just a traumatized aspect, just a split off aspect of ourselves. So she walked into the room full of vomit and she thought to herself, well, how do I hug this? And she said, okay, I'll hug it with my mind. So she walked in and said, I set you free. It wasn't your fault. I set you free, like affirmations of embrace, affirmations of hugging. And she then kind of woke up in tears. And the next day, it was such a privilege when we sat in that dream circle, that retreat, and I heard for the first time her recount that dream, that dream, which is now one of the most amazing case studies in the new book. But she told me that dream didn't heal her trauma. And she always said to mention this, if I tell the story, she said, that dream didn't heal her trauma. The next day, yes, she did feel a profound shift. She did feel a profound healing, but she said the lucid dream didn't do it. What the lucid dream did well, she said it opened up the potential that she could be healed. She said after that lucid dream, she suddenly was open to having therapy. She was open to discussing it with the family members involved. She was open to seeking help. The lucid dream unlocked or removed the barriers for her integrating the trauma herself in the waking state. And when the last time I spoke to her, she said, I'm about to have Christmas for the first time with some of the family members involved. So she'd been on a profound healing journey. One lucid dream her first ever lucid dream. So when we look at the kind of psychological benefits of lucid dreaming for trauma, integration of nightmares and childhood stuff, I think that's a really, really good example of that. Oh, thank you. I see people in the chat. Actually, it's quite moving to talk about that. And we've all got stuff. We've all got stuff. You know, the new book I'm writing is called Sleeping Warrior, Five Practices to Transform Your Sleep. And that's particularly looking at stress and trauma. And as I've been researching that, I realize we're all traumatized. We are all wounded children. You know, some of us seemingly worse than others, but we've all got stuff. And the dream will present you with that stuff. You know, this is why keeping a dream diary is such an important aspect, not just of lucid dreaming, but of life. If you want to know who am I secretly in love with, look to your dream diary. You want to know, you know, what traumas lie still unintegrated from childhood, look to your dream diary. You want to know, you know, the life manifestation you haven't quite stepped into yet, look at your dream diary. The dreams will let you know. And in the lucid dreams, not only can you get to know that part of your mind that knows deeply, you get to dialogue with it. You get to actually speak to it. So now we've looked at the neuroscientific stuff. We've looked at the psychological integration stuff. And just before we go, I just want to drop in a little bit of the spiritual stuff. I know it's like an introductory talk, so I want to keep it you know, secular and open to everyone. But I feel I'd be doing you a disservice if I didn't just drop in some of the spiritual aspects here. In the lucid dream state, you are inside your mind. So much of our meditation and spiritual practice is about allowing us to go inward, right? We talk about this going inward. In the lucid dream, you are already inward. So it's believed that if you do spiritual practice, like meditation, like chanting, like prayer, like healing, within a lucid dream, it's said to be not only far more powerful than doing it in the waking state, but actually from a Buddhist point of view, up to seven times as powerful. In Tibetan Buddhism, lucid dreaming has a 1,000-year-old history. 
And it's believed that in the lucid dream state, you have 700% more mental power, more power of consciousness than you do in the waking state. So it's actually said, if you're going to do a spiritual practice, it's actually more powerful to do it in the lucid dream state. So again, if you get lucid tonight, and the reason I'm saying this, you're thinking, you haven't given me any techniques, Charlie. No, but I've given you the why. And if you've got a good enough why, you can get lucid tonight without any of the techniques. So if you get lucid tonight and you're more kind of spiritually minded, you think, I really want to take this to a next level, whatever your spiritual practice is, do it within the lucid dream. So even if it's like just completely secular mindfulness, like from the Mind Valley app, perhaps, maybe you're doing the meditation that Vishen teaches, right? Whatever that meditation is in the lucid dream, practice it. The only thing I'd say is keep the eyes open. Of course, in a lucid dream, physically, your eyes are closed anyway. But often, if you close your eyes in a lucid dream, you black it out. And the Tibetan tradition, we meditate with our eyes open anyway. My tip is, do your practice, but keep your eyes open. So, I'm dreaming, I'm dreaming. Oh, I wanted to meditate. Straight into it, like that. It's said by one of the most famous dream yogis ever to live, Namke Nobu Rinpoche, who died only a couple of years ago. One moment of meditation in a lucid dream is equal to a seven-day, one-week meditation retreat in the waking state. Let me say that again, because, and that's not me saying this. This is this master saying it. One moment of meditation in a lucid dream is equal to a seven-day, one-week meditation retreat in the waking state. It's said to be that powerful. So tonight, if you get lucid, do your meditation. Tonight, if you get lucid, do your chanting. Tonight, if you get lucid, do your healing for yourself or for others. Wow, imagine having 700% more power to add to your energy healing, to add to your non-local non you know, Reiki you're giving to someone else. If you have a loved one who needs it, really use the lucid dream state to send that healing. You know, if I think of my mom, she's sick, right? So if I get lucid tonight and I try and heal my mom, maybe I bring her into the dream, my projection of her, I do hands-on healing, or maybe I just call out, may my mom be happy and well, may my mom be happy and well. At least I'm healing the inner representation of my mom. At the very least, I'm healing my inner mother. And at the most, I'm actually sending healing energy times by seven out to that person in the waking state. Again, it's worth a shot. Why not? There's nothing to lose. Use your lucid dream state for your spiritual practice and really your life can change. Lakiani, and this is the Mind Valley Podcast. If you like the Mind Valley Podcast, take the next step. Become a Mind Valley member. Imagine being coached daily by the greatest teachers on the planet. How quickly would you transform your health, your mindset, your body? your relationships? How quickly would you double the size of your company? How quickly would you see your career grow? How quickly would you eliminate any limiting belief that's holding you back and manifest a life that you once thought beyond your dreams? When you become a member, you don't just get access to the greatest education in the world. You become part of a community of 150,000 of the most incredible people dedicated to personal growth. Go to mindvalley.com forward slash now to get started.